0: is my boomstick What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBona and I'm David Uyoa and we are back after a um a much deserved hiatus. We both yes. needed some time. Um I, I have just come off of like a week and a half of going to bed super late, watching either the Heat or the Panthers. Um, yeah, it's been a busy time there in sports for you in Florida. It's insane. Yeah, Man, the, the fish are coming on too. They are. We're in contention for the wild card, baby. First time in uh, in a while. So it's impressive. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very excited. Um, so that's that's exciting and uh, messy. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, hey, in um,
1: Miami. In Miami, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh so it is an exciting time to be a uh, a sports fan in South Florida. But this is not Shiver a sports podcast. This is Shiver a slasher movie podcast cuz we are here to talk uh about a slasher movie that I love. Um and in our overview section we're going to get into the prowler the 1981 slasher uh so before we get started i want to give a shout out to uh my friend and yours andy jacone uh he suggested hey why don't you guys do a summer slasher series and i said hey that's what the fuck we're doing hell because yeah because that sounds fantastic so um daniel and i each picked two slashers right um we're, we'll alternate i went first and uh, my choice was The Prowler. Now, Daniel, you had not seen this one yet, right? I had
1: started this one time, um, and uh, it was one that I, I either, I don't, like, I don't know if I, like, had a couple drinks and fell asleep or if I mm-hmm. just fell asleep or what. But, like, I had really only seen probably about the first 25 minutes of it, I realized, okay. when I started watching it. Like, it was not long before it reached the point where it was new to me. So, essentially, it was my first watch.
0: Okay, cool. So, what were your thoughts in watching this for the first time officially?
1: So I wasn't sure kind of what to expect from this movie, because Mm -hmm. this is honestly one that before you ever mentioned this movie, this was one that was never even on my radar. Mm -hmm. This was not a movie I'd heard people talk about. So I didn't know if it was going to be one of those things where it's like, maybe it's not that great, but like the people who love it, love it. And so I didn't know what to expect. So that being said, I was I was happy with it. I saw back when uh, I did the town the dreaded sundown in the key of day, we spent a lot of time mentioning all the things that made that like a proto slasher. And this was another one like that, where it was fun to go back and see a movie that laid the groundwork for things that we just consider slasher movie tropes now. Yeah. Um, it is not a movie that is without faults, uh, but I did really like it. There was some great kills in this movie. There's yeah. a there's a good there's a good twist. Uh, I love that you you don't really know who the killer is for most of the movie, so you get that mystery angle. Um, the the acting was you know it was it was what it, it was, was
2: acting. Yeah, yeah, you know,
1: like it got it got us where we needed to be. But I mean, to, in total. I really liked this. There were a lot of things about the way this movie was shot and the pacing in this movie that I thought were really, really good, especially for one that came out in eighty one when this was a this was a subgenre that was still in its infancy yep. this was still this was still a time when everybody was trying to figure out how you make one of these movies. And there's a lot to take away from this. It's really good. I ended up enjoying the crap out of it. And there's going to be quite a a couple of sections in here where there's some really memorable stuff that we're going to get to talk about. So I liked it a lot.
0: I am so glad to hear that. Um, Because as much as I talk about this movie, and I feel like I mentioned this movie on the show maybe once every two or three months. Right. I really, really love this movie. I don't know how it came on my radar. Um, I know that this is not one of the ones that I discovered in high school, you know, going to, to blockbuster all the time. Right. This was something that I discovered in adulthood and I don't know if it was on a list of like best slashers. I do know that a couple of years ago, um, I started just furiously watching as many slashers as I could. I, I go through this. I get manic and I'm like, okay, uh, zombie movies. Let's watch them all. And then I'll just go through like a four-month period where the only thing I'll watch is fucking zombie movies. Nice. And so good, bad, somewhere in the middle, I will, I'll just sit down and watch them all. This was on that list, I guess, of movies when, you know, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago, I was like, I'm just going to watch a bunch of slashers. Right. Right. And I've watched it, I want to say, once, maybe twice a year for the last seven or eight years. Wow. Okay. Really, really resonated with me. And um, I'm sure that my bias has something to do with it. Because there's two names on, um, on those opening credits that did something for me. Two names I was familiar with when I saw the movie, although I didn't know it when I first put the movie on. Right. And two names that just about any horror fan is going to recognize. Uh, the first name is Joseph Zito. And uh, Zito very famously directed what many consider to be the best Friday the 13th movie, which is part four, the final chapter.
1: Final chapter. Mm-hmm. Um. On
0: any given day, you ask me and I waffle between two of, you know, which one is my favorite. I'll say 60 to 70 percent chance I'm going to tell you it's part six. Okay, but that other 40 percent, it's going to be part four. And if I was thinking of a Friday the 13th movie to introduce someone to, it would be part four. Yes, yeah. To me, that is the quintessential choice. Friday the Thirteenth movie, and that's Joseph Zito right there. Uh, he is in my mind. He is '80s horror, and he is '80s action because he also directed two ridiculously awesome '80s action movies in Invasion USA and Missing an Action, Missing an Action, both <laughs> with, with Chuck Norris. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so this guy really knows how to how to shoot stuff to make it interesting. The other name that's attached to this is the maestro himself, Tom Savini. Yeah. And if you don't know who Tom Savini is, you're, you're in your horror infancy. Yeah. Well, actually, I would I would argue you're listening to the right podcast. Good call. Because, okay. you know, everyone's got to learn somewhere. So if you've never heard the name Tom Savini before, you're probably in your horror infancy. And that's okay. That's a beautiful place to be because there's a huge discovery that's coming your way. But you got to fucking learn who the hell Tom Savini is because he is literally the greatest special effects artist of all time. And when you listen to people talk about this movie, they will say either they loved it, they will say that they were somewhat indifferent about it, or they will say, I hated the story. But they will always say, Tom Savini, wow. This is what Tom Savini himself says is his best work. And it's hard to argue with that. Um, it really is spectacular what he was able to do in this movie. Um, I mentioned with uh, Ralph Diaz Wagner a couple weeks ago when we did Tenebrae that some of these movies, and I think I mentioned this one in particular, you're watching it and you're like, that's a snuff film. Yeah. This person died. Yes. That guy, he, 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 he killed himself or someone killed him for the betterment of this movie
1: that shines in this movie like there yeah. there i mean it, there are a couple there are a couple when we get to kills where i'm like i'm still yeah. not 100% convinced they didn't actually kill someone
0: yes yes
1: um so for me this is a movie i continue to
0: go back to i absolutely love this movie all aspects of it not just special effects We'll we'll
1: get to why in a little bit so so let's get into the movie a little bit you know because this is this seems to be something that this is going to be a category, an area that's going to be divisive about people when it comes to this movie. And that's the story that we're looking at here. Um, what's interesting to me is the fact that this was released in 81, the same year as My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. And there are a lot of parallels to draw between the stories here. So you've got, you've got this group that in, in 1945, they're having this big graduation dance and there's a murder. So then the dance goes away comes back in 80 and then you're worried about whether or not the killer is going to come back because the dance is back. That's, that's, that's my bloody Valentine, right? Like, yeah. I and so, but I mean, but so when we talk about slashers, we always talk about the idea of, is there a good story here? Or is there just enough to get me from kill to kill from A to B to C? So what's your takeaway from the story on this one?
0: I think that the story here is actually pretty interesting and I think that that's part of the reason why this movie works. I think that there's definitely bits where it's like, wait, they didn't wrap that up or why did they include that in here? Right. But I think a lot of that is, it, it might be that there wasn't an awful lot of care taken in the actual writing of the story. Right. It could be that some things were filmed just to pad out runtime. And it could be that some things were there simply to, excite you yeah none of those things are necessarily inherently bad and i don't think that they're bad in this movie i can really only think of one instance where i was like but well, why and, <laughs> and that's and that's when uh after the dance has gone on lockdown um the guy in the in the tweed jacket and the girl who's concerned go down into the basement uh to make whoopee as they yes. would said. Right, um, nothing really comes of that, and we don't nope. even really get a sex scene either. So I'm we not don't. sure. No, I'm I'm not sure what the purpose of that was, except to maybe show us what's going on in the dance hall.
1: Yeah, like I seriously rewound. To see if maybe I had dozed off because I was like, why did we follow these people down to the basement? And I don't remember seeing them get killed or see like anything come of this. So it was like I rewound to see I was like, maybe I dozed off for a minute, mm-hmm. but just nothing comes of it. They live. That's yeah. it. You know, <laughs> uh, and the the same thing happens to Shelly
0: in part three of Friday the 13th. Uh, mm-hmm. He goes out from the bar. We never see him again. Right. What the fuck happens to him? I don't know. You don't know. No one fucking knows. Uh, I doubt the writer of this movie knows. <laughs> and honestly, I can overlook it. It's the only instance in the story where I'm like, but why? Why was that in there? Um, I do understand as someone who was once a uh, a, a, a horny young man that it doesn't matter what's going on outside. Correct. Sometimes you just want to fuck. Yeah. And, I mean, and- it's-
1: That's like the very first like horror movie trope that this presents to us is like guy who prioritizes sex over safety. Oh, the lights are out while we're in this gazebo. That's okay. Mm -hmm. We're we're gonna be all right. It's like
0: all the better for no one to see us, darling. (laughs) You know. Um, So it's uh, but I do think that the actual story here, right? You know, because you can nitpick and be like, yeah, yeah, what's that thing there? But it's one thing, man. If you're gonna let one issue stand in the way of everything else, I mean you shouldn't be a movie fan at all. Don't watch movies. You know, it happens all the time. So I don't let that one thing get in the way. And I look at the actual story here, the actual mystery here. And I I think that's part of why this movie works so well for me is because it is a really good mystery. The first time I watched this, I I had no idea who the killer was because they drop a whole bunch of hints. And they're good enough about, Letting you know that the sheriff always goes away. Right. For his fishing trip. Of
1: course, this is my fishing trip.
0: Yeah. You know, um, now, is it suspicious that he's going away at the same time that there's, you know, some sort of killer on the loose? Yeah. But he seems like a small town sheriff who doesn't really worry about that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, the worst he worries about is keeping these college kids, these co-eds like in line. Yeah. And if they seem to respond to the deputy. You got nothing really to worry about. So it's not really the kind of thing that you're going to dwell on. Like the, the we're not 40 minutes into this runtime and you're like, you know, I remember that sheriff went on that fishing trip. It's not until he makes that phone call to yeah. the to, to to the fishing lodge you know where wherever the the the, the sheriff was staying that you even remember the sheriff existed
1: yeah exactly because it just it just seems like a plot device that that ropes the deputy into having to deal with this on his own because he's yeah. trying to prove himself so it just it seems like that is the the plot device that the sheriff going on the fishing trip serves
0: yeah well then th- the other thing is that it to me these are Young people because they're not kids. Right. But they're young people behaving in an appropriate manner. Yeah. Because these are drunk college kids. They're not high school kids. They're not middle school kids. And they look their age. Yes, that is something that, um, you know, I, I don't I don't care how many times I've seen certain movies. I'm like, I don't I don't buy this person as a, well. I mean, Beverly Hills, 90210 is the perfect example. <laughs> Not one of those people look like they were in high school. <laughs> and by the time you get to season like fucking six and it's like, OK, you've been on your junior year for like three seasons now. Yeah. You know, and and uh, and, and you must be hitting those cigarettes hard because. <laughs> the the fucking lines showing up on your face, man. Wow, you know, like these people <laughs> look like they're about to graduate college. Yeah, they 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 look like real people, and for the most part, they behave like real people too. I don't think that anyone here behaves in in a manner inconsistent with their character. No one is unnecessarily stupid. No one is unnecessarily
1: uh flirty right and i mean yeah like even the 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 guys making moves it's never that over the top like ridiculous amount of aggression in it it's just it's that position that you that we've all been in before when you're out on a date and trying to get laid and it's like uh, let's let's just check it out let's just see what's in the basement you know like that type of thing like it's all very casual and seems realistic very, very realistic for, for me, and, and, and I think that that's part of what makes this movie work so well,
0: is that there is a layer of realism here that um, I can imagine that someone would come back from war with PTSD um, or, you know, fuck the PTSD. They're just fucking nuts.
1: Yeah. Also, and, P- and yeah.
0: Because I've known you plenty of soldiers
1: and, yeah. and plenty of them that also just became soldiers because they're, you know— grasp on reality was tentative at best right. <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and and and
0: truthfully i mean the the majority of soldiers that come back from war work through their trauma right and and never one stab anyone with a pitchfork you know so um it, it it really it just boils down to a guy who happened to have fatigues and could make a really cool costume really good just great and got away with it the first time Yeah. And I I love that, that it, you know, it was just like he got away and he learned to live with his trauma until he was reminded of it again. And and to me, that's such a classic slasher trope. And uh, the, the last movie we talked about on the show, uh, Tenebrae is, is a giallo. And that's, that's such a classic giallo thing. To me, this feels like the, 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 maybe the best version of what an American giallo actually would have been because there's a good mystery here. There's great kills. And in the end, it really never mattered because whether the story was good or not, that's not why you're watching this. You're watching this to see some fantastic fucking kills and that they are.
1: Yeah. I mean, what's great about the story in this movie to me is the, uh, the, the way that like you mentioned, they leave the clues and it's it's left in such a way that you can kind of start to piece it together for yourself but i also love that they never do the the unnecessary exposition of having two characters discussing what the clues that they've found are right. you know you're just kind of allowed to see the pieces come together and and build them at the same rate as the characters in the movie. And if you never do, well, then that's on you. You know, if, if it gets to the point where the mask is ripped off and you see it's the sheriff and you're completely floored and none of this has made any sense, well, that's your fault. Yeah. You know, we didn't need to have a scene where two characters stood around and discussed everything that went into this. You just, you were allowed to put it together And for yourself. And I loved it. I loved the way that the, it was, it was never ridiculous, kind of the way that they found clues. It never quite crossed into that, like Scooby-Doo territory of, uh, uh, of it, of it just being overtly big that, that something's there. Uh, You know, there's, it's, yeah. Is it kind of weird that suddenly she can see the necklace hanging out of the fireplace? Sure. But does it pay off? Hell yeah. Yeah. You know, like you, you get something great out of that. One of my favorite story elements for this movie is the way it opens with the newsreel and then the Dear Dear John letter. Mm -hmm. And you're immediately put into this place where you don't know who the killer is, but you automatically know all of the things that have gone on in this dude's life that are putting him in this position. You know that this is a guy coming back from the war. You know this is the guy whose girl left him. Because he was gone in the war. And you're immediately told all of that. So now, great. Once a killer shows up, I know why he's doing this. He's pissed. Yeah, he's he's shell-shocked. PTSD. All of that stuff makes sense. And then that's it. Like, that's all the exposition we ever need. And then you eventually get to kind of piece together who it is and how all these people are connected. I did really like that. This was a movie where the story that's between the lines the story that i was allowed to write for myself as i watched it became captivating mm-hmm. and that was that's that's something really cool i enjoyed that i got to fill that in that i got to put these pieces together and that it was paced in such a way where whenever whenever there's a big reveal something that with that big reveal that's paced well you're going to realize about 35 seconds before the reveal. That's yeah. how I always gauge uh, like a reveal versus a twist. You know, like if it's a twist and it kind of comes out of nowhere and you're shocked. A reveal is when you've got all the pieces there and then right before it happens, you figure it out. And I love when something is paced that way where I didn't figure it out too early. I wasn't completely floored when the mask came off. I had just finished putting everything together and understanding why it all happened. And then the mask comes off. And I was like, that was great. And that's,
0: I, that's why, in my opinion, a reveal, and, and I love the way you put that, because it really isn't a twist. Right. The reveal is always much more satisfying than the twist.
1: Yes, 100%. And this is a movie that led up to the reveal very skillfully. Uh, so outside of that yeah the the story of the dance coming back so you know the guy is is now reliving trauma and all of that that stuff's all fine i do appreciate that this movie stuck to what is now just kind of the metric of a slasher at 90 minutes yeah and i do i love a i love a good one night in a small town movie Like that's, that's a, there's a good feel to that where you're, you're almost feels like you're living this out in real time with the characters in the movie. Mm -hmm. And that's something that this movie did very well. It wasn't a, okay, now we're all living in terror and we don't know what's going to happen next. No, you just had this one terrible tension filled night where some of the people still never really knew what was going on, you know? Yeah, and that's, and that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there, there, there were plenty of kids at that dance who were just like, oh, there's, you know, they, they just keep saying there's a prowler out. I mean, that could just be some dude trying to catch a glimpse of you in your panties while you're changing, you know? Right. Like, the, the, the word prowler, there's, there's a breadth there <laughs> for what the word prowler can encompass. And it didn't slow them down. The band kept on. You know, yeah. just just out there doing their early 80s, you know, kind of punky rock thing. I
0: fucking love that band. Dude, dude I thought they were
1: great. Yeah, like, they I,
0: were really good.
1: I loved, I, I you know, I had the subtitles on. And so, it's like, I was like, okay, yeah, these are great early 80s, like, punk lyrics. Like, yeah. these are just some dudes that want to get drunk and party. I'm down. Like, I enjoyed the band. Yeah. Um, okay, I wonder here. if,
0: like, Joseph Zito, like, just walked into a bar one day to grab a beer. And he heard <laughs> these guys, and he was like... That's it. I found got the it. band.
1: Got it. Got a proposal for you. I've got a question for you. Do you watch with subtitles on? I do. When you were watching, did your subtitles have fours instead of apostrophes?
0: Yes. The okay. I, I don't know why, but the subtitles for this movie yeah. are terrible. They're all over the place. They're ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, and I know that subtitles are done by the distribution uh, studio so um some are really good about it some are not um i can't remember is it blue underground that did this release that i have i don't remember
1: uh but it's, it's sandhurst releasing is who's listed on the wiki okay but um, i don't know that that was this like production over this version of it you right
0: know? yeah i i, th- I think it might have been I think the name was Blue Underground.
1: Okay, is the
0: name of the it, it, kind of like how Arrow, um, yeah, you know, Video does uh, does a bunch of these. Um, man, Ralph and I went off and <laughs> off on this stuff. Uh, Kino Lorber, you know, a, a, a couple of these. So anyway, this is uh, Shout Factory. That's the other big one. There we go. That, uh, that'll do it. And, and it wasn't Shout Factory. It wasn't Arrow. Those those guys put a lot of effort yeah to enter their releases this is very bare bones
1: yeah no and so it's just it by probably about 20 30 minutes into it i stopped noticing like it just became one of those things where i saw it and it didn't really register but for the first right. like 20 minutes of this movie there's just fours just constantly in my subtitle it uh it reminds me
0: of when uh when the llamas have taken over the credits in monty python and the Holy oh. <laughs> grail <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it's all like Nordic lettering. Yes.
1: Like, what the yes. fuck is going
0: on here? Yeah, very, very similar.
1: <laughs> but I, I, you know, like I said, all things considered, the story that we have here is more than bare bones because mm. it's it's better than, you know, some of the Texas chainsaw massacres we've gotten, you know, that yeah. they, that don't really tell a story. They just they just guide you from kill to kill. There, there's definitely something here that's worth that's worth noticing and paying attention to, and that kept my interest and and that was pretty cool, and like i said yeah i, I had I had just pieced it all together, and who I was willing to put my chips on as being the killer before he you know rips off the mask and, and yeah. you put it all together, and that made it feel fulfilling to me, that made it feel like it was all worthwhile,
0: yeah. Well, and, and, and speaking of taking off the mask and and, and, and seeing the fulfillment, it's, there's a lot of characters in yeah. this movie, a lot of characters, and that is hard to juggle. Slashers are notoriously bad at this, um, and, and I'm talking about my favorite subgenre of horror here, all right? Um, there's so many characters, uh, usually because you need people to kill. Right. right. So uh, these characters tend to be one-dimensional. They tend to be um, maybe interesting a little bit, right? Uh, but there's a lot of them. How do you feel about the characters in this one um, in general? But then also, is there one or two that you'd like to like point out?
1: So in general, I think that what we got here, like we mentioned, was a realistic portrait of just kind of a cross section of what a small college would be like uh, in in a small town like this. I, I think that we weren't quite in that, one dimensional space for for some people i think a lot of them were i think a lot of them were just there to kind of be bodies you know you got the you got the guy in the tweed jacket who's just trying to get laid in the basement you've got the one guy who's drinking before the dance even starts he's puking before it's over you know <laughs> those those guys you've got the you got the 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 lady of ill repute, if you will, who's you know right. just who's just down to get with anybody, flashing and, the old man from across ex- the street, exactly, you know, yeah. just just handling her business. But I, I think that when you when you get into kind of the the main people, when you're looking at the the deputy, and when you're looking at um, Vicky Dawson's character, whose name I have suddenly forgotten, um, Pam, and yeah. so you're, when you start to look at them they don't develop them out into giving us their histories and stuff like that, Mm. but they do have conversations and interactions with people that make them personable and feel more real, which is always something that's going to make a slasher better. If you're watching a slasher and you, you see a person as something other than cannon fodder, then you're going to you're You're going to get a more guttural reaction when something happens to them, or just when they're in some sort of imminent danger. Uh, yeah. In the case of Pam, you know, she ends up surviving and root for she, them, and what and root for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and 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 Pam ends up surviving, but she's in a lot of situations that she has a couple really close calls, and then I mean, then she's just full blown fight with the killer at the end. Uh, so I, I think that that they care that we got just enough development from characters that we needed it from. And we didn't get on un- any unnecessary development from characters who ultimately didn't matter that, that we, that it was okay if they were just cannon fodder, you know, the, the yeah. roommate who the roommate in the shower. Sure. We don't really need to know that much about her. Right. There was one character in particular and, and not even like a character from the movie. This is like, just like from, from a film perspective, the guy who runs the shop, I think his name was Kingsley. Yeah. Um, I went and looked. I was willing to bet lots of money that that was a young version of Sid Hay. They're right. right. Yes, he looks just like him. It was, and, and he doesn't just look like him. He sounds just like yes. him. Yeah. When he's running that shop and he's getting on to the guy about looking at the magazine and 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 hanging out too long and and watching, I was like, that's Captain Spaulding. Yeah. But I, I I was I paused the movie because I was like, maybe he just maybe just somehow missed his IMDb. Like I'm just desperately ch- it was not Sid Haig, and you could have knocked me over with a feather when I found out it was not Sid Haig because I was willing to bet money that it was him. It was it was so crazy how much Sid Haig I saw in him. Um, so not that he was a standout character, just I really thought it was uh it was Sid Haig. Damn. Um, as far as you know, characters who stand out, I did really enjoy um. Uh, Mark London, the the deputy. Uh, I yeah. there was there was a good development arc there in him. When we first meet him, he's kind of ogling the girls, hanging the banner, and then trying to play it off because the girl he likes walks up and she gives him shit about it immediately. Spectacular yeah. the way she. I, I don't want you to strain your eyes twice in one day. Just <laughs> fantastic line. Yeah, but we we end up seeing him go from this guy who you think maybe has an eye for everybody in town and might be kind of crappy at his job because of the way the sheriff talks to him at the beginning, to somebody who we eventually learn really does genuinely seem to care about Pam and this town and takes his job very seriously, which isn't who he's presented to us at first. And so the uh, the actor who played him, uh, Chris Gautman, he did a really good job of showing that growth. And like I said, this movie takes this movie spans a day and he gave us a really good character development arc out of him in just that one span. Because as soon as the killer shows up and Pam comes out and she's like, somebody was chasing me in there. Like you see him go into work mode. Yeah. And suddenly he's really serious. And it's like, Oh shit. Like this guy takes being a cop. Seriously. You never got that feeling before that moment. And you see that switch flip. And he he ends up you know being really good at taking care of her and and putting this puzzle together, and so it was just really interesting because like I said when he when we first see him it's just like oh man it's just some dude who became a cop to try to get laid, yeah. And then you see that he's actually really good at his job, and so that was a fun progression. I, I did enjoy him a lot.
0: There's there's a great character moment with him. Where um, he and Pam are uh, in the middle of an argument at um, Major Chatham's house. And she says, Well, why don't you go call the sheriff? And it's said in a way where it's like, You know, well, if you can't get the job done, you know, call in the adult. Right. And he looks hurt. Yeah. Um, And uh, I'm not going to say that there's spectacular acting in this movie, but there's occasionally really good acting in this movie. And I think that there was really good acting there, particularly be between um, uh, Goutman and Dawson. There was chemistry there and there, there was, there was something there. I would not be surprised to hear that they had uh, like an offset fling. Right. You know, Um, and there's a, you're right, man. He's, he's spectacular.
1: Yeah. I, I was just, I was, I was really impressed with him. Um, and then like you said, the, the acting isn't isn't great from once you get away from those two characters, but they all presented exactly who we needed them to be. Yeah. you know now when a slasher gets released, you just you look for these types of characters. you know it's like okay, who's who's the loose one you know who's the yeah. nerdy one who's you know who's who's the white knight like you look for those characters. but in 81, they weren't tropes. You know, it's like it's like how on uh, when the real the show The Real World first started, they were really just casting people. Then, you know, four or five seasons in, they were casting roles. Yeah. And that's that now we're seeing the the origins of that where it's like we're just creating characters and then we eventually find out that this group dynamic works. Mm-hmm. So you look back at this being in 81 and you go, "Okay, so this is the seeds of learning what makes this group dynamic to where you can reach a point where you make a movie like Cabin in the Woods mm-hmm. and you you purposefully reference how each of these people is, you know, the jester and, the you know, the, the gladiator. The jock.
0: And, and the yeah. J- yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you reach that point. And so it's always fun. Every time we do one of these old ones, I always love to go back and see that you can go back and you can see where these tropes originated. And it's like yeah. this is one of the original formulas on what makes that slasher click work. And that's that's a really cool and fun concept to get to see, you know, like I said, the, the girl, uh, the girl who ends up getting killed in the pool, who's just dancing with everybody and drinking and she's there with the one guy and she's dancing with the cop and she's flirting with the banner. You know, she she did exactly what she needed to do, like no more, no less. Mm-hmm. I can't fault her for that. You know, she she gave me the exact character that she needed to be. And so... And we knew who she was from the very beginning.
0: We knew that the only thing she was interested in was having a good time. Right. It was was her last night, really, as a college student. And all she wanted was to enjoy herself. Yeah.
1: So I I think that what we got out of this movie was a couple of, like you said, really good acting moments. And then just a lot of, here's what you need for this movie to work.
0: That scene where she dies in the swimming pool. Um, If that is not inspiration for what I think is the best death in The Strangers uh, Pray at Night, yeah, I don't know what is. Um, And as that movie is less of a 70s thriller and more of an 80s slasher, to me, when I saw The Strangers Pray at Night, I was like... That's it. That's that's the Prowler reference right there. Yep. Um, you know, and and uh, Bertino as as a uh, as a horror, you know, maestro would know that, you know, all right, I got to reference some some of these uh, some of these classics here. Um, there's uh, two characters that I want to talk about. One has a smaller role and one has a um, uh well, no, it's still a small role. Uh, they're 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 both they're, they're both small roles. Uh, you, you, I, I don't want to go on and on about some of the characters you spoke about because I I you 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 chose the best guys. Um, uh, one is the MC from the graduation party in 1945. Yeah, that guy can control a party, man. He really is a master of ceremonies, and he's he's throwing out references to Glenn Miller. And I'm like, yeah, man, like uh, he. Was exactly the kind of MC that my grandfather told me stories about. Right, like, like to me, that was authentic to the forties, and I wasn't around in the forties, <clears throat> not even by a long <laughs> shot. You know, um, I, I, I think I, I should have been born in that time. Right. You know, uh, I, I, I love the movies. I love the, the the fashion. I love the music. I love you know all of it except for you know the societal issues, but <laughs> yeah, uh, right. which is huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um the war. The war yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you're probably gonna end up, you know, dead somewhere in Normandy, but it's fine. Um he was he was so good and he sold it, you know, and, and I love his costume. He, yeah. he wore the like the Seinfeld puffy shirt. Yes. Uh, as his tuxedo shirt and man he fucking killed it. He was owning that fucking tux. Yes. Um, it was it was spectacular. It was great. And it, it and it's such a great contrast to the fact that there is no MC in the party in the 80s. There's just a band. Yeah. And 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 then when when the teacher gets up, uh shit, what was her name? Uh I can't remember the teacher's name now. Uh, Miss Allison, when yeah. when she gets up onto the stage, it's like okay, well, she has to do that because there is no MC. Um, which, by the way, Miss Allison is a Stone Cold Fox. No, wow. lies
1: protected. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: I would not have been able to focus if she was my professor. Correct. What the fuck? Um. Anyway, um, she was also fantastic. Miss Allison, yeah. to me, really had um and it wasn't just her but it was the way that people acted around her um you got the impression that the students respected her but enjoyed being her student right um she's there at the party she's helping set the thing up and yet they're hiding the alcohol from her right you know so like there's there's this balance of like um uh, <laughs> reference to one of my favorite movies of all time, Mean Girls. You know, I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. I'm a cool you mom. You know, but you're still a mom. You know, you still have to be an authority figure. You know, and I, I realized how he said that. I don't mean that as a bad thing. You know, the, oh, mm-hmm. you're a mom. You know, um, uh, I'm married to a mom. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, I am a mom. So um, that's it, it. Was It was great the way that she was able to be. Authoritarian, but also be uh you know, fun lover at the same time. I I thought I thought that was fantastic. And wow, what a fucking death.
1: Yeah, I mean, and also like even the even the drunk guy who's like trying to get out to go, you know, meet up with his girlfriend, he she was she was a waif. I mean, he could have and this that dude was taller than everyone else at the party. I mean, he could have just shoved her to the side and went out but he didn't take that route. You know, he, like you said, there was obviously an amount of respect there mm-hmm. to where even in this drunken stupor that he was in and all he was thinking about was going to meet his girl at the pool. Yeah. he still even halted at her authority at the door. Yeah. And so there, there, there is a healthy amount of respect there for that, uh, for that teacher. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And some of that could be uh, you know, it's a, a societal thing. Yeah. Know, a, a cultural thing. Um, Teachers definitely don't have the respect that uh, that they used to. No. But, Believe it or not. Um, yeah, right? Um, <laughs> said one teacher to the other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but uh, there's always been people that you don't respect. Right. And some of them happen to be teachers and professors. And I think she does, she does a really good job of capturing that.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so – and again, like I said, just – So many of the people here just kind of serve, like you said, you've got to have a lot of characters in these movies because you got to have people to kill. And so, you know, moving forward, it's time that we get into that section that we always, that we, that we've got to do. And that is somebody's got to do the killing. Yeah. You've got to have somebody who's going to pile up these bodies. So, what we get in The Prowler is a masked man that we are slowly able to kind of piece together who he is. Uh, We know from the beginning that it's got something to do with the dear John letter and the war. And and we start to get those pieces and we end up with just, you know, the prowler as our killer. So when you look at the prowler, the sheriff, as we eventually find out that he is, I mean, how does this guy stack up for you?
0: I think of him as one of my, Iconic slasher killers. Um, I mean, everyone's always going to talk about the big three, right? Um, you know, your uh, your Freddy, your Jason, and your Michael. Um, you can probably extend that to uh, to Chucky and to Ghostface, Leatherface. Um, Leatherface. Um, but that's um, that's about it as far as like what everyone recognizes as like the iconic slashers, right? The thing is, there's like hundreds and hundreds of slasher movies, yeah, and hundreds and hundreds of slashers. On a different level, I feel like um, the miner from My Bloody Valentine and the prowler from The Prowler are just as iconic for the horror aficionado. Right these these guys are like. Uh, they're they're equal to your Freddy's and your and your Jasons and your Michaels. There's just less content, and uh, I I think it goes back to the fact that in the early '80s, they weren't thinking about building a franchise. They were thinking about we want to deliver a good movie, right? With good kills that's going to keep someone coming back watching week after week. Uh. Because remember, the video craze was just getting started. So you were either renting this movie week after week or if it was in its initial run in the theaters, you were watching it until it got out of theaters. So you needed a compelling killer, someone who was going to bring someone back to this movie because you weren't thinking, well, where's the part two next year? Right. You know, like that didn't really start until Friday the 13th. Um, you know, because he, he, even Halloween comes out in 1978. We don't get another one until 81. Yeah. You know, uh, it, right around the time that Friday the 13th Part 2 is coming out. So um, to me, this this is such an iconic slasher. And he's so inventive with his kills because they're not inventive. Yeah. They're just a way to kill you. Yes. and what what i really 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 love about this guy is we see him kill one person in 1945 and then we see him kill like five people in 1980 but he says that every year he goes on a, a on a fishing trip right does he use that fishing trip as a way to go out and kill people like he's he's a he's a he's a crazy person he's a psycho right psychos need to release that somehow is he using his fishing trips, his annual fishing trip to go out in other places, rural places, just fucking murder people? Yeah. To me, that's one of the things about this character that I absolutely love. Because if I were a horror filmmaker who didn't have an original idea, I'm not a horror filmmaker and I don't have an original idea. So <laughs> I'm only halfway there, you know, Um there's what 35 years yeah of george uh fuck what was his name not um uh george george fraser george fraser thank you going around possibly killing people and you can make 35 fucking movies oh yeah right there you know you've got you know every movie starts the same way you know he's deputy fraser in the first one you know and he's just Getting out and and he's like, all right, well, I'm going for, uh, for a fishing trip. I'll see y'all in a week when I get back. And then it's just him going to fucking town, murdering people. I would love to see that movie. Okay. Because I love this killer so much. And when it comes to slasher killers, it's all about the look. And it's all about the aggression. And that's why the version of Michael Myers that we get in uh, the Rob Zombie film is incredible. Yes. And I know that it's not the Michael Myers, but holy fuck. I've never seen Michael be that
1: aggressive before. It is something.
0: It, it is something. And it, that's what brings you back to that movie. And there's an aggression here. The way that he stabs through the skull. You know, the, that's, that's, that's yes. the image that we have back here. <clears throat> if you're watching live right behind us. Wow. I mean, there, there is anger there like that is that is catharsis for him yes there's a lot of psychology behind this guy that isn't really there you know we're just looking at a performance we're looking at the way it's written and you know we're applying our own real world science to this guy but to me that's part of what makes him so good is that he seems real you know because when I'm angry I listen to really loud heavy metal, Uh, if there's no one in the house, I'll play really loud, heavy metal, you know, with with, plug my guitar into my amplifier and I bang things out, you know, um, but I specifically stay away from going to the shooting range. I specifically stay away from going to the batting cages. I stay away from going to the driving range because if I get anything that could be used as a weapon in my hand, not good, right? That's a very real human thing. You yeah. know you're gonna take your aggression out, and if your instinct is I'm gonna grab my bayonet and I'm gonna stab it through some guy's skull, guess what the fuck you're gonna do yeah so i I absolutely love this killer what what do you think?
1: um so just uh, uh, from the top, the look man, the look of this killer is so great because it's not anything absurd. You know, it's just it's it's like the Michael Myers jumpsuit. Mm-hmm. It's something you could just see anybody in. And so I and but but with the but he's got the full face covering. So one the look of it is just incredible. Yeah. Two, I love that yes, he does stab a bayonet all the way through a guy's skull. But he's never presented as being absurdly strong or anything superhuman in the very first kill the one that's in 45 when he stabs through that couple with the pitchfork it's not an effortless thing where he just kind of cleanly goes in no he like hits pushes and then puts his steps on it on the pitchfork Mm -hmm. to push it through so we're immediately presented with okay this is just a guy with issues Mm-hmm. And so I, and I always, I love, I mean, I love my supernatural killers too. Like you said, I love yeah. Jason, I love Freddie, but it's always a nice twist when you've got just a dude with problems. You know, when, when back when we did Scream, we talked about how there are all those moments where Ghostface like trips over furniture. Yeah. And stuff like that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Real moments. And that's the type of thing. If you're trying to stab through two people with a pitchfork, yeah, you're going to have to put your boot on that fucker and you're going to have to push hard. That's the only way it's going all the way through. And so then as his kills progress, there's a level of realism to them in the fact that we're aware that this guy is, was a soldier. And so, you know, he would probably be adept at slashing someone's neck or know how to use a bayonet well enough that, that it wouldn't be a crazy thing for him to come straight down through someone's skull and be able to get through that. We also know that he's probably taken very good care of his gear because he's highly trained in it. We would, you know, you're led to assume by knowing he's a soldier. So I ended up really, really liking this guy. And that first kill, I was like, a pitchfork? I don't, uh." like, I wasn't sure. I thought it it seemed kind of hokey at first when I just saw that he was going to get people with a pitchfork. But then that everything else, the first when the, when you see him gearing up and you know that this guy's got a sawed off, and you know he's got a, a bayonet and a dagger and yeah. a pitchfork. and and you're you're going, okay, so now this is a well prepared dude. And so you you start to you start to understand that there, like you said, there's a level of psychosis there. Uh, that's an interesting dissection because he's not just somebody who snapped and grabbed a kitchen knife and stabbed somebody. This is a well-laid plan Hmm. from from the very first one. You know, all he does in that first one, he stabs through the two of them with a pitchfork, but we see all the stuff he's got and he uses the knife to cut the lights and he creates an atmosphere in which he can get away with this and so you start to see all of those things where you can't just write this guy off as a psycho with a bayonet you have to you have to look at this guy as somebody who's highly dangerous because he's skilled and well prepared which mm. is something that you don't always see you know you're michael myers your jason's held to an extent you're chuckies these are people who just work well in any environment because they because they have no motivation other than the kill. so nothing's going to stop right. them from getting it. This is a guy who because you know want, because if he gets stabbed it's going to affect him. he has to be well planned. One of the things when at, when we finally get the reveal it's because he's gasping for breath, yeah. Because his, he's it, been shot. Because he's been shot <laughs> and he has a pitchfork in his back. Yeah. And so he's, he's desperately just trying to breathe. So he removes the mask because that's your natural instinct. If you're having a hard time breathing, you don't want anything covering your face. And so all of these things lead to somebody that you can draw lines to it making sense that this guy, one, is well trained and has probably done this a lot, but two, man, he's he's just a human being. He's a human being with a lot of problems, but he's just a human, and 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 that's anything and, but
0: therapy, man.
1: Anything but therapy. <laughs> if, if Twitter has taught us nothing, man. So it's it, there's there's a there's a lot to like about this guy. It's it it was really interesting because from just looking at like the cover art, I was like. This is kind of a goofy getup. But I mean, like I said, shit, Michael Myers is a, a mechanics jumpsuit and a William Shatner mask. You know, we get past yeah. these things when we're giving killers that we care about and present us with situations that we want to watch. And that's what we got here.
0: I, man, I I, I couldn't agree more with, uh, with with all of that. And, and in talking about this, like for, for me, I really love the idea that this guy – learned how to be a killing machine in war and right. never let those tools dull right the possibility that he does every year go out on a fishing trip where he fishes for people right and i i man this this idea is driving me crazy i think you and i need to write this movie <laughs> and um sell it to like jordan peele or something and, there we uh, go. I would love to. I would love to see Jordan Peele take a take a stab at this. Um, and speaking of taking a stab, there's really only one thing left to talk about before we get to ratings and uh, making a comeback. We haven't had this uh, segment in a quite minute. a while, a but we, we also haven't done a slasher in a minute. All right, we're talking blood and boobs. All right, there is uh, there's two things that every slasher must have in the eighties to be a slasher one is blood the other's boobs right right violence and sex sex and violence sells right uh, it's what kept people watching game of thrones it's what kept people uh watching slashers all throughout the 80s Always. so um the violence the kills and the sexuality gratuitous or just
1: right what do you um think both um, I think that the violence <laughs> yes. in this is ridiculously gratuitous, but yeah. it sells and it works in the movie. This movie is never presented as fantastical. This movie is never presented as supernatural, and yeah. so you know that's so the the violence that we get is gratuitous. But slitting someone's throat is a gratuitous action. You know, you're so when when he gets the girl in the pool. Like we said, there, there are two kills in this movie where I'm not convinced that they didn't actually kill someone. And the girl in the pool is one of them. This is Tom Savini at his Saviniest when you are watching <laughs> the two of them in the pool. And you're wa- you see the blade buried in her neck when it is still very obviously the actress and yeah. that thing is a half inch deep in her neck if not more and moving and you it's it is it hurts to watch but it's also just amazing and again simple simplicity in that because you're right he wasn't this wasn't in the phase that we're in now which is what's the most creative way I can kill people this is how would a soldier kill someone and that's what they would do in this situation but man he buries that knife in there and just pulls and then she drops down into the water and you get that great underwater shot where you can just see the gash in her neck and you can fully appreciate how grotesque those special effects are and how good that moment is, but also just the violence that leads up to the death there. She goes to come out of the pool. He doesn't just stab her in the face. He kicks her in the face. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to mention that, that that
0: scene starts with the brutality of a kick to the face.
1: Yes. And, and it's so, and so again, then as you put the puzzle together of this being a guy who was slighted by a woman, then that that anger and the fact that he's taking out all of his latent feelings about Rosemary on just whatever co-ed happens to be in his way, that comes through so much more with putting a combat boot to a woman's face than, than, than just slitting her throat just quickly. Then be, it be that shows that there is a game element to it you know because he could have just been standing there and stabbed her and been done with it but there's an aggression there's 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 a there's a mental violence to that because it, like it, it, that scene that you know we've all at this point in 2023 how many people have we seen killed in the in pools in these movies tons yeah but that scene is so guttural because of opening with that boot to her face. Yeah. And then he and then he gets down in the pool with her and he makes the whole thing very personal. That's the other thing about the kills in this movie. Um, when we did The Town That Dreaded Sundown, he, he worked on becoming more efficient to the point that by the end of that movie, he was shooting people. In this, he makes every kill an up close personal thing. And it really shows the fact that 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 he's that he's this is something that he that he needs to do because he's taking out some deep rooted issues with these kills. So the the pool one I I absolutely loved, and uh, the other one that the the one like jump scare in this movie that really got me was a kill that we don't actually see which is when we see what we kind of are led to believe is Rosemary's body kind of drop down out of the chimney. And so then while we don't actually see that kill one, great special effects on that corpse look fantastic. Mm -hmm. But two, you see the level of, of decay that's evident there. And you, then again, you go back to, well, that's probably not 35 years of decay. So how often has he been killing people? Over 35 years yeah. and so I, I mean you just you end up with all these great ones like i said when i was talking about the killer i love that when he gets the couple with the pitchfork at the beginning that again boot on the back of it push push not gonna stop until they're both dead so yeah, the, the violence in this movie, it's gratuitous. But it leads to the fact that this has that gritty grindhouse feel. This, doesn't, this isn't supposed to be anything spectacular. You're, you're supposed to have a guttural reaction to some of these things. Um, and as far as boobs go, the ones we got were great. Like, I can't be mad at it, right? Like, they fit yeah. right in with a great kill. I, so and I, so I don't want to step all over all of them because I want you to be able to talk about some of them too. But I, I do think that the, the the nudity is not gratuitous in this. There's just enough of it to pique your interest. But yeah, I think the violence is realistic, gratuitous, I mean, on the verge of growth sometimes, but not crossing that line into being really gory. It's gratuitous in the fact that it feels real. Yeah.
0: Um I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um addressing the um the sex in the movie, we really only get one scene of nudity. Um, and it makes perfect sense. She's showering. Right, because she's getting and ready for a dance. As um as gratuitous as the shot was, it doesn't linger. Uh so to me, it doesn't seem voyeuristic. It right. seems almost natural. I wouldn't call it tasteful, but I wouldn't call it natural. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's it's not it, it, it's not art house nudity, yeah. It's 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 not it's not art, it's definitely not art, <laughs> but um it is welcomed, right? Um, you know, I ain't mad about it, but it makes sense for the narrative because it would have been weird if she's showering and then you don't see her naked, right. Like, Plus, if, 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 because then they would have gone out of the way to cover her up, right? Plus, her, shower boobs trope check. You know, you got shower boobs. <laughs> you got you shower know? boobs. So it's there. Um, you do get, you know, the, the the she happens to be wearing a you know a white lingerie when she goes swimming in the pool, right? You know, so so you get your eighties bush shot, you know, but uh, but it's it, it's it's through the. It, it, it's through her panties you know <laughs> um so it, it again it was to me that felt like a very natural and normal thing to happen right you know uh she's telling him hey let's go swimming in the pool you know and she is specifically waiting to take it off for when he gets there yeah you know because that's that's the reveal It's like, you know, this is what you came for. Let me show you, you know, you're not giving them away too much right at the beginning. You know, Um, so it it felt normal, uh, natural to me. The uh, the amount of uh, of sex and nudity there, Um, the violence, you're right, the but here's the thing, the violence is gratuitous only because it does the exact opposite of what the camera does for the sex in that it does linger and it does right. feel voyeuristic and the thing is that it it all again feels natural there's nothing comic book about it right um there's nothing like dawn of the dead which is savini's first major work feels like a comic book it's yes. so over the top the blood is so ruby red it's um it's very clearly a comic book it's very clearly um you know uh over the top i think that his finest work is in day of the dead those special effects are just spectacular they're outstanding they're perfect but there's an element of supernatural there because i have to believe that the zombie is doing this to you right whereas here it's a crazy dude with a bayonet or it's a crazy dude with a pitchfork or it's a crazy dude with a shotgun, you know, uh, to me, the everydayness of these kills, the, 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 the very normal and mundane aspect of these kills is what makes it so difficult to watch. Yeah. Um, And there isn't this giant gush of blood that happens It's just the right amount. Yes. It's the real world amount. And um, I wonder sometimes if Savini drove around, uh, you know, Pittsburgh looking for people who were willing to get paid to be murdered. Yeah. So that he could study what it looks like (laughs) when you slice someone's neck open. How much blood is it? And then he would just, you know, he would do the slicing himself, and he'd sit there with like, you know, paper and pencil. Okay, uh huh. And Gush is here. And a stopwatch. Uh huh. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Here's your payout. And then the person would fall over. <laughs> you know, like that's that's kind of how I imagine. Like, how does someone get
1: this good at knowing Dude. what death looks like? And it's just it's so crazy. Like, the the thing that always pops up with Tom Savini's special effects is the fact that it's not done where there's a cut to one body part that's obviously just you know a fake Mm -hmm. when like I said when you see the girl's neck get slashed you see her head's right there and it looks like that's her neck Mm -hmm. you know when the girl gets stabbed with the pitchfork in the shower I mean we get like a full body shot Mm -hmm. we're obviously like Everything above the pitchfork is her. Yeah. And and, it and it's just,
0: moving and writhing. Yes. And
1: and it just, it just, it looks like they're just sinking a pitchfork into this woman. And it's just, it's amazing. And we'll always, always, always go back to about 42 years later. We're still watching this, wondering if he actually stabbed some pick right. with the pitchfork in the shower. And the thing is that he uses, I mean, it,
0: they're all low-tech when you really stop and think about it. it. They're just inventive in how he pulls these things off. So uh, there's behind-the-scenes stuff that you can find um, on YouTube. Tom Savini had like a video diary that he made while he was doing this. Um, so like you don't actually see the thing, but if I know anything as, about special effects – Looks like he actually fitted like a, f- a fake sleeve onto her neck. Right. That had the machete already attached to the sleeve. So that when he's pulling like this, you actually see the skin, fake skin, the sleeve that's on her, pulling. Okay. Very, very low tech, but really, really effective. And yeah. he knows he, he knows exactly where you need to place the camera for you know for the effect to be sold you knows exactly how much blood to put on there exactly how much makeup to put on you know um it's it's just knowing your craft for me the one that is maybe the the one that gets me the most is and I, I love the pull kill but Miss Allison when she gets stabbed through the neck yeah. There's a brutality about that, that to me, just like, I don't know. Like it, he, he was really letting frustration out there. Yeah. You know, that was a healing moment for him, you know? Um, and <laughs> <laughs>
1: just it's like, I know, I know it is like, I get yeah. it. But it's just, it's, it's such, it's such a hilarious thing to say out loud. It,
0: it is a hilarious thing to say out loud, but that's the way these fucking people think. Yeah. You know? It's like, you know, oh, yes, you've just healed a part of me from that Dear John letter. Thank you for your service. <laughs> you know, um, it's the same shit everyone tells the soldiers when they come back. Right. Thank you for your service. And then they right. don't fucking do anything. It's just a thank you. Right. So she's helping him work through his trauma. And um, he's thanked her for her service. But it's it's the way that he fucking stabs into her. And we it's it's insane, you know, and and sometimes it's just as simple as the pitchfork has, you know, little parts of it cut out. So you see you see, you know, the two outer forks go around her torso and then the two forks that are in there are just, you know, cut short and they just press it up against her. That's it. You know, it's kind of how they did the machete scene in uh, in Day of the Dead. The machete is cut out and then they started with the machete already on the guy's face and then filmed it coming off. Right. And then just played it backwards. Yeah. Simple little things like that. And, and to Savini just, he, 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 to me, there's two special effects guys that pushed the craft to the edge. Uh, One is Ray Harryhausen. Uh, very different kind of special effects but if you're into horror and you're into monsters you gotta check his stuff out um i mean the guy is an absolute legend yes um there there is no one better than ray harryhausen for what ray harryhausen did um and then there's tom savini yeah and then there's everyone else you know there's other names that you know that you should know you got to know your carlo rambaldi's you got to know your greg nicotero greg nicotero um uh and, and Nicotero's a guy who studied, studied
1: under Savini. Savini. Yep. You know? Went to Savini School of Special Effects. Yeah. Yeah. The uh so speaking of Savini special effects, I mean, we've got we'd be remiss if we did not mention the fact that the killer ends up meeting his end because they blow his head off yeah. with a shotgun. What's really fascinating about this to me is when you talk about exploding heads, the movie that people tend to go to is scanners. Yeah. Scanners came out the same year as this. Scanners was also 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I went and checked because, like I said, as soon as I saw his head explode, I was like, oh, it's like Scanners. Wait, what What year did Scanners come out? And then I went, and looked; these movies came out in the same year. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, was, that was just like the special effect of 81 was like, can we blow somebody's <laughs> head up and make it look realistic?
0: Who did um, uh Who did the exploding head in Scanners? Well, who did the special effects
1: in Scanners? I I don't know. I know it was a Cronenberg. I don't know who did the yeah. special effects. Um, but um, I mean, so you know, that's, Tom Savini's catalog is full of exploding heads. Um yeah. But uh, but yeah, so it was just like like I said, that was when I first saw it. I immediately made the Scanners reference, and then like I said, went and looked, and Scanners was also released in eighty one. So it was it was quite the summer. Um, to have a head in 1981. But I mean, again, it's one of those things where they do such a good job of cutting to it at the moment of explosion that, yeah, if you were to watch it frame by frame, it's 100% obvious that it's just, you know, a model head that they blew up. But they do such a good job of cutting to it at the moment of explosion that your focus isn't on that section of face that's laying there to the side that's obviously fake. You're just enjoying the fact that you watched a person's head explode
0: right right um and 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 he had perfected it already you know this was the uh the third time he had done the exploding head gag uh the first time was in uh dawn of the dead it's the very first kill of the movie yes you know they the 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 police storm that uh that uh, that apartment complex they kick open the door there's a zombie it turns around boom yeah. Fucking shotgun shell right to the fucking face. Um and then it happens again in a movie that I don't really know how I feel about the movie cuz it's kind of strange, but the kill effects are fantastic and you know, it's Savini. Um movie called Maniac
1: oh yeah i always forget that maniac is a savini movie oh. yeah
0: um I, yeah i, I don't know
1: how i feel about it but great kills is the best way to sum up maniac
0: yeah um i maybe we need to watch it and do it on here so that i can finally you know sort out my thoughts oh, right exactly. on that movie. <laughs> uh because there's definitely some really good stuff in it but there's also stuff that i don't know how to feel about yes so um It happens again there that he just walks up to this car and bang, right through the windshield. And the guy actually happens to be Savini. The actor gets his head blown off because it was Savini's head. He actually had a leftover head from (laughs) Dawn of the Dead. And it was his it was his head that had been cast. So he actually made a new cast in this one. Using the actor's face, not his own face. And he was like, okay, well, I know exactly how to do this thing. I've done right. it before, you know. Um, it's um to me, if you want an exploding head, uh, and Scanners was not him, but it is really interesting that there are two movies with, where, you know, the the exploding head plays such a a, a pivotal role right. in in the movie. Uh, but yeah, what a way to to meet your demise right and
1: again and, and what what's really interesting about that is this that idea that you know in this day and age it's always about can i build my franchise mm-hmm. at this at it, for this movie it was can i tell a story and have a cathartic ending for mm-hmm. the audience and so uh and so it was like you yeah, know fuck it we'll blow the killer's head up like what do we care like the movie's made like it's done his story's told right. we can move forward now but, you know, we've already storyboarded uh, at least two sequels. So <laughs> at least
0: two. <laughs> um, one of them will be good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Then we'll, we'll let the third one fall off, but we'll have made our money by then. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's about that time, right? I, you know, we, we've yeah. talked to kills. We've talked to boobs. We've talked to killer. So it's time to rate the movie. So we like to remind you, as we always do, that when we rate a movie on Shiver, we only rate it against itself. So while we've drawn parallels to plenty of other movies, we're not comparing this to Halloween, to Friday the 13th, anything else like that. We are just looking at the movie, The Prowler, and how it was presented to us. And there is a scene in this where we get a great feat of strength from just a completely normal character. And that is somehow Pam manages to snap his iconic pitchfork right at the handle. With her bare hands. So keeping that in mind, out of a possible five broken pitchforks, Dave, what do you give Maniac? Or not Maniac, what do you give the Prowler? Um, and you
0: said uh, feet of strength, and I was thinking of that line from uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. You know, au contraire, <laughs> what we need is great strength, strength of feet. Of feet. <laughs> um Fuck, I was hoping that I would be able to come up with it uh, while I talked about that um uh, Robin Hood reference. Okay. Um. Here's the thing. I can't think of why I shouldn't give it five. Okay. Um. And the thing is, I know it's not perfect. I I know that I am talking about this movie with rose colored glasses. I'm I'm watching it with with rose tinted glasses, and um, I don't fucking care. I love this movie. And when someone asks me, "Hey, I want to watch a slasher. Uh, what are slashers all about?" This is always the first one I mention.
1: Uh, yeah, always. it's, it's going to be high on that list for me now too. It, it 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 always is for me. This is a
0: perfect slasher. There's not there's not a single thing that I would change. Uh, that's not true. I, I I would have uh you know that that weird side story where they go down into the uh, the basement to bone and then we never see them bone and then nothing <laughs> ever happens. I would just take that one thing out. Right. Uh, if, if, if there were a shiver cut of <laughs> this movie, it would be exactly the same thing. But that's taken out. But it's um,
1: yeah, never seen going to the
0: basement. But here's the thing. That's when I go to the kitchen and refill my popcorn. Fair. So it's, it's for me, it's perfectly fine. It's not the first movie where I have to ignore one scene and it's not going to be the last. Um, But I don't fucking care. I love this movie. It's it's uh it's perfect for me. And it's five, five broken I, pitchforks.
1: I, I, I'm not going to go quite that high because I, there was one, there, there was a part of this movie that stood out to me that I just, I, I don't know. I didn't like it all that much. Like I understand the purpose that it served, but I didn't like at the end, I didn't like how somehow that dude was still alive or maybe he wasn't. And it was in her imagination. Like, that's what I thought. I thought yeah, that it was like, like the
0: trauma of the night. She opened it up, and you know they were dead. They were there, but
1: you know, yeah, because you know, yeah. then you immediately see him just hanging back there. And so, well, well, I I, I do respect that. And so, but you know, now I'm with the question of it's it's definitely not worth docking it a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it, you know, if I if I were to dock it like a quarter for that and a quarter for the the basement storyline not playing out. Um, I, I'm not going to quite go five, but I did enjoy the hell out of this. It is definitely going to rank up there in movies that it's, this is going to be one where when I find somebody who mentions a couple of the big name slashers Mm -hmm. that they know and that they like a lot, this is going to be one that I'm going to go to where I'm going to be like, well, have you seen the prowler? Because this is a great one that laid the groundwork for so many of those things. that you're talking about so i'm not quite on the five bandwagon but i'm gonna go four and a half broken pitchforks on this one because i enjoyed the hell out of it there's a lot of really great stuff here and just the kills are spectacular just absolutely amazing kills just enough story the fun of putting the mystery together to yourself uh, the very the very odd opening that laid the groundwork for the movie mm-hmm. to play out so well. Just so many good things to talk about here. I'm just I'm just qu- not quite ready to give it a five. Year from now, I may have gone back and I may be over whatever that little bit keeping me away from five is. If I were to redux this in some time, but time I'm- heals all wounds. <laughs> But so, yes, I'm going to go four and a half uh, broken pitchforks on this. There you go.
0: Uh, Four and a half and a five. We average that out. That's uh, four and three quarters. uh, But we don't uh, fraction here. We and uh, Or decimal, because that's what that was. Uh, it was 4.75. But I did say three quarters, and that was a fraction. I'm mathing too hard right now. I'm spiraling. I'm spiraling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that rounds up, if I remember uh, from my arithmetic. And so it's going to be five broken pitchforks for the very first installment of our Summer Slasher series. The Prowler perfect five out of five broken pitchforks. Um, and I mean
1: the summer's the per the, the slasher is the perfect summer movie. It really is. Just just that's why so many of them take place at summer camps. Mm-hmm. That's why that's that's why when you're watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that, that Texas heat is oppressive mm-hmm. because they're just they're they're the perfect summer movie so very excited to keep the summer slasher series going we're going to keep it going for a few more weeks and i'm going to call an audible on you here dave okay um, because after talking about this for uh for this 90 minutes i want to stay in the 80s and there's been one i've been kicking around doing uh next week so if you have it because i haven't had a chance to check but it seems like one you would have in your share so that we can watch it do you have slumber party massacre could we do that next week of course I have Slumber. Party. Of course you have Slumber Party Massacre. So <laughs> tune in next week as we will be doing we're gonna stick around in the 80s, Slumber Party Massacres 82, 83. I think so it's eighty-three, yeah. So we're gonna stay, we're gonna stay early eighties, and next week we're gonna go to the other side of the storytelling coin, mm-hmm. and we're gonna do Slumber Party Massacre to keep this uh, Summer Slasher series going. Oh, I'm
0: so excited about this. <laughs> oh man, I'm really excited. Oh fuck, this is fantastic.
1: So If you are watching live, we appreciate it so much. Always feel free to comment. Let us know that you're out there watching. If you're listening, know that we always record Wednesdays at 9, 8 central. You can catch us live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We are on all of the social media at ShiverPod. You can always head to ShiverPod.com where you'll find links to all of our social media outlets. Instagram being the one where we are the most active and uh we keep managing to pick up people meet new folks so uh reach out to us if you've got an idea like like dave said mm-hmm. the idea for summer slasher series came to us we uh from a fan from a from a friend of the show really not just a fan i mean been yeah. on the show and uh reach out to us let us know also keep in mind as once we get past summer slasher we are looking at the possibility of bringing back summer fan fest so yep. if you've got a movie that we have not done yet that you want to be on the episode to talk with us about, reach out to us, hit us, hit us a DM, tag us on Twitter or something. Let us know what movie we should be doing. We'd love to have you on and talk about it. Absolutely.
0: So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fright you very much.